think I had associations with if you wanted to be a performer and actress, you had to be really pretty. You know what I mean? I thought me saying, oh, I wanted to performance, people would think I was batshit crazy. Like I would be embarrassed at the thought of telling someone that that's what I wanted to do. Hey there, I'm Dan Brophy, and this is The Naked Creative, a creativity hack podcast and blog where I talk to everyday creatives all about their process in the most practical of terms. My guest today is Nat Harris, a stand-up comedian who has been making a name for herself on the Melbourne comedy scene. For her, comedy wasn't a latent discovery. She has long thought it was the only thing she's good at. But the decision to act on the impulse to follow her creative pursuits has come about only towards the end of her 20s. And only now, a few years in, is she truly discovering her voice. Nat is one of a handful of people in the world that makes me literally laugh out loud when I'm in her presence. We first got to really know each other while working behind the scenes on the ABC TV series 20-something, around the time she was beginning to make inroads into stand-up. For Nat, it was as if she always knew that this is what she wanted to be doing, but she just had to wait for permission or a sign or for it to seem like she was allowed to step into the ring and attempt it. Due to changing life circumstances, her attitude shifted towards one of, why not? Well, those weren't exactly her words, and you'll soon see what she used instead. But lucky for us, she's now well and truly on her path of discovery. Please enjoy my chat with stand-up comedian Nat Harris. So, thanks for coming on the the, the, the podcast <laughs> to have a chat. No, thanks for having me. Um, now, give us a, an indication of what you are working on. What are you spending time on creatively at the moment? At the minute, okay. So, I'm a stand-up, I do stand-up. I'm a stand-up comedian. There we go. Got that out. I have trouble saying that. And I um, also consider like a, a performer, an actress and a writer. So I do stand-up kind of regularly throughout the week. And then I'm writing a web series at the minute that I'm trying to get some money for. <laughs> and um, when I, you and I have known each other for about 10 years, I reckon. Yes. In that time, you haven't always been focusing on stand-up or comedy as a vocation have you has that when at what point since post high school did that come about as being something you were actively investing energy into yeah I am so bad with time frames but I definitely didn't I think I've always known that I wanted to perform and I've always like gravitated towards like comedy and mm. um, but yeah no I just kind of avoided it because it's a really scary thing to admit that you want to do so I did I started out in performing arts in high school uh, like after like I started out in performing arts um, in uni and I dropped out after the first year because I just wasn't in the state to study and then I did another course kind of in the entertainment industry like it was called business for like for entertainment industry. I did like a back a bachelor in business, and I did that because I didn't. I was still having trouble admitting that I wanted to perform and do comedy, and so I did that for three years. And during that time, I got involved in community radio um, with Sin in Melbourne and community TV, and that's where I just started slowly taking steps to do more performing and ultimately like I met a lot of comedians doing that and um, yeah so it what, took what, me a while that sorry I just dribbled that it took me about like not until 2000 like kind of three years after high school to start getting into it what do you think the business for entertainment course gave you Oh, not a lot. Not because not because I it wasn't a good course, but I was just doing it. So when someone said, "What are you doing?" you could say something. I'd just come back from overseas and I was like, "Shit, I better do something." So I enrolled in this freaking course and then I got so far that I'm like, "I can't drop out of another course." So I finished it. I did 3 years. 
I mean, I'm sure it did give me things, but I, I can't really say explicitly what that was just yet <laughs> how at to, this how stage in my life. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, how to get an avian. No, and I met, actually, no, and I met some great people. I met awesome people that I'm still friends with today and and like to stay in contact with. And, and that's a big part of uni. I mean, my understanding of uni... I went. I did a TAFE-oriented course yep. and in film and TV and didn't do a traditional bachelor, and I really missed that part of your brain that's used to yep. structuring arguments and essays because there was no essay writing at all, and yep. I was geared up, yep. ready to write essays. <laughs> but I, I do like that uni teaches you how to learn yes. so that then you can take that learning in your own time into whichever direction you choose. Yes. So that, And also the networks you can't undervalue because it's so important to yeah. know who's in your world yes. and then to potentially collaborate or, you know, yeah. bounce ideas off. And, you know, I always feel like that sort of thing is helpful. Totally. And do you know what? Now I'm just thinking about it and reflecting. The course, I think what it gave me is it gave me a push in the other direction that I wanted to go in because I wasn't feeling like satisfied like I still had you know I'm like oh this is interesting but I you know wanted to have a creative outlet that I I want I hadn't realized that yet but so that's that doing that course um gave me a bit of a push to get involved with community radio and tv and I ultimately I feel like I gave myself a, a film and tv course on on the fly in my spare time just making projects with friends and other a lot of the other people who are making things um with community tv were studying film so i think in a lot of ways i wish i'd studied film and tv but i was a bit like well i'm doing this now and i'm halfway through and it's too late i'm just going to finish it and I, i went and did that which kind of um yeah i learned so much doing that I actually, I mean, you raise a really interesting point because I think when a lot of people are freaked out about what to invest their energy in, not only at the beginning of making their uni selection, yep. but actually just in, in life thinking, oh, I, I know that I want to do something yep. that's not my day job, but I don't know what. Yep. I don't think, I think you can get um, option fatigued out of making any oh, sort of choice. It's ridiculous. And, but making some sort of choice, even if it is, quote, the wrong choice, choice exactly. actually is great because it then allows you to go I hate this yeah. I'm going to actively choose the thing that I do love but you've got to go there in order to come back I reckon it, absolutely it's so true um, it, you have to I, I've, I've gotten to doing what I truly want to do now by a, a long process of elimination um, which is different to some other people um, and I'm always so impressed by people who are like... Who are 19. And they're just like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm passionate about. I'm like, fuck you. How do you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the same. And my older sister, she's in the same industry. And she she never went to uni. And I know, like, but that she used that as her inspiration. And But she definitely had years where, like, you know, just reckless abandonment or, you know, I shouldn't say that on her behalf, but... You know, just having time to figure out what you want, but um, but she just kind of was like, okay, I, I'm not gonna. Th- I, I I think it's impressive that she didn't th- that she had the balls to just do it, rather than being like, I need to do a course and then I'll do it. She she just went for it, but that's her and how she went about it. Everyone has a different way. The problem I think with being in an environment that really gives you so much framework, yeah, is. Once you're no longer in the environment, it's really hard to work out how to work. I know that for friends of mine who went to really glamorous film schools that I was dying to get into yeah. were stunned into inactivity after they finished the course because yeah. there was no structure to facilitate. Mm. And then they didn't know who they were and yeah. what sort of creatives they were without that structure. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's probably, you know, if, if you're doing it, that's, yeah. sort of, that's probably half of the, yeah. the battle, really. Yeah, and there's a huge amount of like esteem that goes with certain, you know, courses and institutions, and sometimes, yeah, that can be like, I don't know what. It's reassuring to parents. Yeah, yeah, but it can be like, oh, I'm at this school, I'm at that, and you are like the sense of like a gifted one, a talented one, and it can be. I could imagine how that could be daunting. Then leaving that school mm. and being like, okay, now I have to start my career. And what if I'm not? A star pupil yeah, in life. Yeah, in life. 
but maybe that's just jaded little me not going to those schools so that's my take no not um, at all and so uh at what so at what what was to describe sorry no describe to me the process of thinking about stand-up as this concept that you'd witnessed and making your entry into that as something you could be part of well because i was on a sh- on like a a, a variety show kind of tonight show style um yeah a tonight show style tv show on channel 31 called studio a with other comedians um like dave thornton used to host it and tommy little who um comedians both doing really well luke mcgregor lots of awesome people have gone through so i was on the cast of that in their final season and essentially you had to write and deliver jokes which i knew kind of how to do but this just kind of cemented it like you had to step up to the camera and you know say three funny points and that yeah that all, all the the all the other cast members on studio a were comedians and they're like you should try and i thought yeah yeah i always said i'd try it one day i definitely didn't want to do stand up by any means i just thought it was too much pressure and oh. I just found it way too daunting. But then I was working... Yeah, so I can't... And I remember I delivered this one joke. I remember and I ran it past some of the other guys. It was on the last show. And I said, oh, I don't know what to say for this thing. Like, we had to, like, deliver a line to the camera. Like, all I want for Christmas is... And I had this idea. And sometimes, you know, when you verbalise an idea, not performing it, you know, you don't sell it. So people are like, oh, they were trying to help me. I was like, oh, I'm thinking of doing this, saying this. And they're like, oh, yeah, we could do that or do that. But then in my, my, in my gut, I'm like, nah, I think this will be funny. I'm going to do this. I remember I said, all I want for Christmas is um, my boyfriend to stop cheating on me. And then I've gone, nah, just kidding. Um, I don't have a boyfriend. <laughs> and then just gave my number out. <laughs> and it just came to me. And and I remember thinking it was really funny. Like, in my mind, I thought of it. But then as soon as I started to run it past other people, they were like, oh, you could do this or give me all these other options. But I was like, no, fuck it. I'm just going to do what I originally thought. And it got a really big laugh. And I remember, like, and it was all in the delivery. And I just was thinking, oh, I'm so glad I followed my gut. And I'm like, I don't know. And that rush of kind of getting a laugh and... Maybe from there I was hooked. And I was also um, a runner on the first season of Please Like Me. And I was... So I would drive the actors to and from set. And I was thinking about it more and more at the time. And I was driving um, Josh Thomas and Tom Ward, who plays um, Tom on the show. Is he called Tom on the show? Yeah. And I spoke to him him a lot about it. And he, I remember he gave me a really good piece of advice. He's like, don't try, don't try and be funny, try and be interesting. And I was like, yeah, okay. And my aim was to get up and try and stand up for the first time and just not make the audience feel uncomfortable. That was my goal. I was like, just get through it. I don't even care if I get laughs. Yeah, but I remember chatting about it a lot with Tom Ward and he gave me, like, I had some good conversations with him about it. Yes, that was good. And do you think, I mean, you mentioned it's all in the delivery and that was a very specific tone of humour that worked because it came from you in the way that it was delivered. Yep. What do, you, do you think that in stand-up you play a character or you play a role? Do you present a different version of yourself that the shtick comes through specifically? Yeah, I guess so. I think some comedians more than others, they really are kind of... I think, yeah, you're a bit of a, a, a heightened version of yourself because you're not really, well, you don't censor yourself. Well, that's what I think. You say the things that you actually think <laughs> rather than, like, you know, you may have a, a conversation with someone and, but there might be, like, just a strong, like, subtext through that conversation and then you get up on stage and then you deconstruct that or you talk about that or you talk about what you're actually thinking. So, yeah, I think... Uh, yeah you're definitely like a rawer version of yourself or I am and then uh, yeah I I guess so I'm probably more of a like a cynical version of me but I have no idea actually but I definitely I'm I'm not entirely sure how I come across on stage 
because sometimes I feel like I'm really dark and cynical and then other people go oh you're so sweet like what the fuck am I coming like I have no idea how people interpret me so there's no conscious choice around you know I thought of this great gag but but my character wouldn't say that sort of thing you'll Mm. just if, if it works you'll go there yeah I think so not necessarily like I think that there's some jokes there's some things that I want to put out there or there's some there's definitely topics where or you go through stages of what you want to talk about and what you want to put out there so it's like I could make a vulgar joke that could go really well but yeah like I might definitely make a decision not to say that because I'm like it just doesn't really fit in with the rest of what I'm talking about and uh, yeah maybe I want to I don't really want to put that out into the room. I can't think of anything, but yeah, there's some jokes that you could be seen as easier, and I guess. Well, that brings me to the question of how has, what, what have the stories that you have, you were telling in the early part of your uh, yep. stand-up um, world of yep. work, how has it evolved into, well, how long has it been that you've been working in that way? Ah, uh, so... I've only been doing stand-up since I was 27, so I've only been doing it since I was um, for three years, um, so a bit over three years. But no, the first, um, the first thing I ever spoke about was my f- a lot of stories from my childhood because I just was a weird kid and had a pretty colourful family, so that was easy. And so yeah, I, I spoke a lot about my childhood. And just um, about my fear of being kidnapped and still is as an adult. Um, I can't remember. That was one of the first jokes I would speak about as I made this joke about... Because do you remember Mr. Cruel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was obsessed with that we all case. were living in fear. I was living in fear that I would be just like pinched from my bed without a trace and it haunted me there was a few things that let I was also at my primary school they filmed a movie for SBS called The Man in the Blue and White Holden that was the name of the movie that was the name of the movie about a boy who gets kidnapped by a man in a blue and white Holden so that places the the reality of this fear into your world and I was in prep at the time and they filmed a scene for this movie at school and I remember I, I couldn't Differentiate between the movie and reality, and I just remember walking home from school that day, and they had, the teachers were dressed up as nuns, making an announcement saying a man has been seen lurking around the school. Uh, you know, after at three thirty after school, you like go straight home, and it was a scene for the movie where they used the students as extras. I don't remember receiving any royalties for this. Um, yeah, so that even fueled the fire even more, my fear of being kidnapped. So I talked a lot about that. <laughs> You're probably wondering how people were letting this happen. Yeah. How are people standing idly by while boys are being kidnapped in Blue and White Holdens? Yes. So, yeah, I spoke about lots of silly stuff like that. And I think, and, and being in, and reflecting as well on your 20s and the type of life that you've had in, you know, usually trying to find your path in a in a creative life so I think that uh, I definitely see it now I think that's quite common that you talk about your family and maybe your early 20s when you first start out in stand-up not necessarily but it seems to be a bit of a common thread do do ideas get exercised to a point where they no longer have any spark for you and then you move on to the next chapter of discussion yeah it definitely so now now i'm talking a lot more like i definitely really enjoy darker humor and i'm a bit more cynical and yeah i'm talking a lot about my dad died before i got into stand-up so and he was a real performer so i'm talking a lot about that at the minute and i'm doing a show all about that i'm actually writing all about that for like this past year so the the web series i've written is all about him passing away it's all about grief and which i find there's it's just it's inevitable and it's never convenient that's my whole point and then you just put it into the context of the you know the mediocrity of every day but then if you're if we know you're coming from like this really hard time it can just make the most simple things 
catastrophic and funny and I don't know. So I'm writing a lot about that um, in stand-up and for a narrative yet web series. So, and, and I think as well I'm very conscious maybe in the last, you know, four... Am I talking too far away? Um, in the last couple of years as well, just discovering what kind of... I do feel it's important... No, it's not important. I don't know how to put this out there, but I would never want to put anything out on stage that... Um, I'm just conscious of being... I, I, I am a feminist, basically, and I'm not even sure what that means or why I'm even bringing it up, but there's some things maybe that I've said on stage in the past that I wouldn't say again or... Oh no! I think I would say everything I've said on stage, but I, I um, I don't know. That's something that always kind of I check in with my like moral compass there, or what kind of message I want to put out, or I don't. I just never want to paint the picture of like, oh, silly girl, and what, look what I did, and and I don't think anyone else is doing that. It's just something I I am conscious of that I check in with stand up as well but I also at the same time I don't think it's anything that should be applauded like oh she's a girl and she's on stage and she's doing stand up but does that make sense yeah. I'm absolutely waffling I'm the vaguest person ever so when did I start stand up I don't know too early to I have no idea like I'm terrible with time frames and anything so just cut in if I'm waffling too much no nailing it what about the, in your approach to work, to stand up as work that you're investing energy into, mm-hmm. when you are in the process of developing new shtick, yeah. how do you approach a work day? Say, for example, you know that Wednesday is a day that you have all to yourself. Yeah. Um, do you... Uh, do you have any sort of tropes or superstitions around that day in terms of how you prepare the day before or how you like to, to go into it? Yeah, I mean, ideally not hungover, but that can be tricky sometimes. Oh my god, that makes me sound like such a drunk. But say, I, I'm terrible when I go to perform and stuff like that. I usually need a drink before I go on. So, um, no, I'm alright. The, the few things I have are if I'm sitting down to do some writing, the, the minimum, like, I have to spend at least an hour sitting at the computer or at notepad thinking about like ideas I've already been churning normally I'll always just take notes all throughout the week and then if it comes I have a day off I'm like okay I actually want to try turn that into a scene or turn that into a joke uh, yeah I'll be I'll I'll make sure I sit at the computer for at least an hour and even if I'm not writing anything I'm not allowed to get up I'm not even allowed to get up to go to the toilet so it's just like get your glass of water close the door this is where you are for an hour so you may as well try to do something and what is is an hour? I mean, would you have blocks of multiple single hours in the one workday, or is it is one hour for a workday and uh, your max? No, 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 definitely not. But at least an hour, and usually it takes me like twenty minutes to ease into it. And then usually I'm often firing by the time that like I set it a stopwatch and like turn off my phone you know just shut everything off I base it off a talk that John Cleese did um on creativity and he's like at the very least like he talks about the mindset that you need to be in to be creative it's a really tricky thing trying to be creative and that process and he talks about how we need to be in a state of play like you need to have a sense of playfulness to you if you want to write something funny or create something beautiful or you know it depends and so he's like and, and he ch- talks about choosing an hour is because it's like it's very achievable and turning off your phone turning disconnecting from everything else for an hour is completely reasonable at best you know like and then usually by the time you know the hour is up you're you're off and running because sometimes you need to feel the results to be inspired to keep going so yeah and then I might do like an hour and a half and then I might have a break and then I'll do it again I tried the Pomodoro technique as well. That's like um, working in 25-minute blocks. And then you get five minutes rest, like where you can like click onto Facebook or check your phone in that five minutes. And, but it's really strict. Like it's all on a, on, a, on a clock. 
and you, you can't break it and then you go back you do another 25 and then the breaks get longer and then you get like a full half an hour break after I don't know how many like three 25 minute increments so I've I started doing that a little bit I probably could get um, back into that a bit more but I think the hour thing kind of works for me mm. but the Pomodoro technique I remember was really funny like I'd be like alright I'm going to put my washing out in the five minutes and like get my washing out and like run to the line and it was like a workout in between. And um, when what are you doing at the moment? Do you, do you balance a, a day job with the work you're doing for yourself? Yeah. Writing? Well, I've been working in a cafe, so I work there three days a week, and then oh. <laughs> does that give you a platform for shtick? <laughs> oh my god, so much! But I I don't think I will be going back to the cafe though because I do have a, a time limit on how long I can be at a cafe. And then I enter a state of rage when no longer it's like, oh my god, this is so great for material. Now it's just like I'm just filled with rage. Um, Have you crossed that threshold? I've this crossed the threshold. The threshold. This cafe has been awesome, but I've definitely I've entered the rage. Okay. So yeah, I work there three days a week, and then I work another. I volunteer on like a phone line for women on Monday mornings, and then I, yeah, so I usually have like. Monday afternoons, Wednesdays, Fridays, and I give myself Sundays off. Usually I give myself more than, um, more, it happens that on Monday afternoons I'm usually too drained because it's mainly, it's pretty full on the phone line. So I usually just am like, you know what, I have the afternoon off. What's a, the, the, the rage that <laughs> the you rage, speak of? Yeah. What does the rage consist of? Because I feel a lot of people have that feeling <laughs> of, Frustration in the day job that yep. they feel is keeping them from the thing they would rather be doing. That's yep. the plight of our yep. generation. Totally. What is that? What does the rage consist of for you? What's the nucleus of the feeling? Oh God, that is so hard. Can we unpack that? Yeah. Um. Just that. Uh, I think it's. It, this is good for stand up. I guess that there is like the way you're treated <laughs> is like you're a second rate. Citizen, like there's just such a hierarchy, and I am and serving other people. I think is so unhealthy in hospitality, and some you can just tell some people have never ever had to do it, and so the way they treat you. Yeah, I don't know, but I um, but yeah, there is also like a lot of material that can come from it as well, but the rage. How does it then? get eased by being in a new space do you almost press the reset button because it's a whole bunch of new stuff to be distracted by well say that again sorry well in terms of the the rage threshold yeah. gets reached when a place becomes stale mm-hmm. and then if you go to a new place you don't feel it straight away until x amount of months passes yeah. is that because there's a lot of new stimuli around yeah maybe well i'll definitely need a break from hospitality now but yeah usually like this place was great if there's really nice people i work for and, and good customers, that's fine. But I think it's just exhausting talking and interacting with so many different humans all the time. And some are awesome and some are just shocking. But I'm at the point now where I hate majority of people. <laughs> it's good for comedy. <laughs> Which is great, but I'm just like... And I'm well aware that it's not reasonable. Like, it's me just being fucking exhausted. And they just look at you. Some people just look at you and see your latte. And you, you're just like, oh... I see more of a chai when I look at you. <laughs> oh, mocha. I think you're a mocha. Um, do, yeah, I just have so much rage. I really I, need I, to stop saying that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love the idea of being. I've, I've attempted stand-up comedy a few times, and I love the idea of doing it. Yeah. But I, Have you attempted it? Yeah, three three know. times. What? In, in Sydney, it's just something I sort of wanted to roll the dice on and see yeah. how it felt and what my writing, how my writing could be adapted to that mm. space. Mm-hmm. But I. It's well. It, the challenge for me would be tapping into my rage so as to have a problem with enough stuff yeah. to potentially comment on things from that angle. Although that's not all that stand-up comedy no. is. But I find that it's very. I think you can access humor from that 
Yeah. You know what's fucked. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? That can get so tiring. So I think you you would be a breath of fresh air on stage. <laughs> I feel like, you know what's great, guys? Yeah, no, because I would hate the thought of ever getting up on stage and me talking about all the things that I hate. Because you do hear some people just get up and go on a rant. Look, you know what's fucked? It's like, I didn't hear you say anything funny. I just heard you whinge into a microphone. So you would be a breath of fresh air. Maybe if I you can. Channel, but I remember, yeah... The, same thing a good point to start like trying to write something yeah I think it was Tom Ward who said it as well he was like you know what annoys you and why and what do you hate what do you love and why start with those kind of topics really simple things and there's usually going to be material there and it's the same with you know writing exercises like in one book it's like write you know two pages on what you used to eat for lunch as a school kid because it's going to be tied to memories. It's going to have things of, like, how you were seen. You know, like, were you the kid with the banana and honey sandwich, which I was, that would stink by the time lunchtime came. And Dad just would have smashed the banana into my roll. And I just wanted a normal, normal roll. But, you know, just writing about those simple things, you're usually going to find something. I, yeah, I feel like, you know, everyone would have mined school lunches for comedy. Yeah. But maybe it's a good on, entrance, entry yep. way to discussing life yep. as a comedian. Yeah. I, what do you think about when you are setting aside some time to write uh, chemically in terms of how caffeinated do you like to be? Yep. Are, are you snacking constantly or keeping yourself on the side of hungry? Yeah. You know, you, uh, I, I don't think you're a weed smoker, but do you stay clear oh, of anything I'm in particular? I'm a huge weed smoker. Are you really? <laughs> 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 I pulled a bong before yeah. you got here. Oh, man, I am ripped. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I definitely need a coffee for sure and need to be yeah I need to be fed I need to be watered and fed before sitting down I think and then a bit drunk as well at night is funner tell me about that because I am not a drinker but I can't imagine that my brain would work well in that capacity creatively but I know some friends who swear by the point in the day where only a a one or two glasses will allow them to continue working yeah yeah, definitely. If I've been working all day, working all day, if I've been pottering in my apartment and telling people I'm working from home, <laughs> then, and if I want to keep writing it into the night, yeah, like some wine usually helps. And then it just can go amiss, and then I get on my phone and on Twitter. <laughs> and then it's out the window. Swipe left. Swipe left. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. But that's kind of like a treat to myself. <laughs> God, I sound like fucking drunk. Um, but yeah, definitely because I do spend a lot of time by myself because we're in my apartment at the minute, guys. And yeah, I mainly work from home. And yeah, I think it allows me to be really productive. But I also get, and I love spending time by myself. But I also I think like I can maybe get a bit bored or a bit restless. So, like, some wine is my reward for, like, working all day and doing a little bit extra tonight. That's good. What about, have you ever tried working out of the home, taking an office space? Uh, I've never had an office space. I would, I think I'd get too excited and want to talk to everyone. Um, But I'd go to the um, State Library. Yeah, I'd go to the State Library more in summer, I think, because they've got air con. And, yeah, I love being around other people working. Because I think you're just like, yeah, okay, get things done. I think that's nice just to, to work side by side. Do you experience... And it's beautiful, the State Library. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, also, there's something very... The State Library demands focus. Doesn't it? I feel like when you're in the State Library, I've never, I've only taken work in there a small handful of times, but it makes me want to look at my life yeah. and be more focused. Be more like the other focused people. More studious. Yes, that's why I go there as well, totally. I mean, and if you were to look at their screens, they're probably on Facebook, but they're doing it with a huge amount of focus. They're not just liking anything. <laughs> <laughs> they are choosing wisely, and that I respect. Yeah. Do you experience writer's block? Writer's block, yeah, totally. Yep. And what do you do to overcome that? Mm. 
I don't know. It, well, I guess it's that's the awesome thing about doing writing and stand-up comedy is that you have to experience things to that you want to talk about. So if you've gone, if I have, if I have nothing, normally I've always got like a document that I'm just like chucking in ideas, and I'll be like, oh, like or if something happens at the cafe. Um, I'll chuck it in this document and I'll be like my next day off I'll just scan through it and then there's stuff I just never do anything with but I'll just be like oh let me check what I've got in there is there something I've overlooked so then it's just everyday stuff but if I didn't have anything to sit down that I wanted to work on because there is some stuff you like I could write about that I could spend a day trying to write about that but it's not very good so fuck it I'd just go off and do something and I think Go to the movies, get inspired, because it is important that you do that. Or, you know, go on a date and have something to, you know. There like, you go, get drunk, go on Tinder, exactly. have a terrible they date. Exactly, talk about it. Guys, then... I'm pregnant, but I've got something to talk about now. So, woohoo! Like, yeah. And that's the thing that comedy, you know, comedians often, like, make jokes about is, like, if they have a health scare and stuff like that, they're like, damn it, I was so close. I'd already written my comedy festival show on... You know, having testicular cancer. But it's fine, guys. It's just a lump. You know? So, I'm very lucky to have a dead dad, you know? <laughs> no, that's it. But, um, no, there is... Yeah, you just kind of do. It's not... It's that. That's a good thing. To just be like, all right, well, maybe I'll watch a show or... Yeah, go do something. What When you um are looking to gather that inspiration... Does it come in the form of consuming other comedy or do you cast the net further to less traditional forms of inspiration? Mm, yeah, I think it's both. Chops and changes. Like, definitely it's always really good to watch comedy, comedians that you like and see what they talk about. And Who do you like? Oh, um, I love a whole bunch. Like, bigger acts like more well known like I love Maria Bamford she does all these different kind of voices and characters she goes in and out of um I love well I've been watching I've just been watching Bill Burr I think he's really funny and then local comedians there's so many as well what about um are you inspired by the work of any comedy makers like via any new shows or old shows or Filmic. Um, totally. Uh, yeah, I always try to look at. Like I grew up watching like Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn, and yeah, always just tapping into all different type of performers and what it is of, about them that endears you to them. But oh, there's so many. Bette Midler. Did you hear that Goldie, Bette, and Diane are doing a film again? Oh, together? please! The First Wives Club. Is is going to be no? It's not a sequel to First Wives Club. They play a trio of. I think it's that they are sixties era Shantuzis who have had a breakup fight forty years ago, and they're reuniting for a for a world for a tour or something. Yeah, yeah. So it's these three divas. Oh my god! Rekindling their relationship so they can go on the road again. Can you imagine? Oh my god! That kind of reminds me of the Banger Sisters. Was that going on? And Susan Sarandon. Yeah, she's amazing, Susan Sarandon. I always get so stuck when I'm asked about who I like, and then it just kills me for the next day. I'm like, oh, I should have said them. Should have said them. Yeah. What? Um. Who else? Because I mean, for me, the even growing up, the influential thing which I always come back to was. Abfab. I was probably the only, oh Abfab. You know, I was the only twelve-year-old quoting Abfab. You know, as at all boys. Oh my Jesuit god! I school. love it. Yes, Abfab. Um, Big girls blouse. Oh, yeah. My god, amazing! Big girls blouse and, and anything Jim with the, anything with those key well three or four fast-forward gals in it. They did something yeah. stupid after Big Girls Blouse. Oh, what did they do? Oh, the, the, the show was called Something, something Stupid. stupid. Yeah. Oh, I don't know it. Oh, it's great. It was also, it was the three Big Girls Blouse girls plus Mark Downey doing basically all the best bits that you loved them doing from Fast Forward but with just their own show. Oh, my God. Amazing. All right, I need to... I'm sure I would have seen some of it, for sure. But, yeah, totally. Always just goes back to that. And we were just... As kids constantly role playing, making little movies. 
Yeah, do you think that the foundations for your sense of play or the fact that you wanted to go into performance were those foundation stones laid growing up in a zany household with four bolshy girls yeah, in, the, in the mix? Definitely. We were like encouraged so much just to, yeah, our parents, particularly my dad was always just like encouraging us to put on performances and dress up. We used to imitate their friends and he would love it and he would film it for us. And yeah, we were just completely indulged in all our like creative urges, like to the point now where we're like bad functioning adults, but <laughs> you know, no, we... I feel I would, I mean, knowing three of you pretty well on the, and yeah. the fourth semi well enough yeah. to say, Hey, yeah. um, it feels like everyone's got a very strong sense of their, their creative self and yeah. seems to be investing energy in some form of output. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even just playing like, yeah, we used to do role plays all the time. And we used to, particularly my sister Jess, older sister Jess, she would just memorise movies, scenes, like, or her favourite sketches. Mm. Um, so she, yeah, and if I wanted to be a part of it, like, I had to pull up my socks and play the B character. She was always the main. The main. But we have, like, so much footage of us, like, reenacting the, the, um, the what's the scene there? the Battle of Wits in The Princess Bride. Right. And it just, like, word for word. Like, I could still do it. Like, it's ingrained in me. And also playing with her, we used to play this game called the Mary and Liz game. And <laughs> the Mary and Liz the game. The Mary and Liz game, which was based on my mum's friends called Mary and Liz. <laughs> and every day, every time we'd play it, I'd be like, oh, Jess, do you think I could be Mary today? And she'd be like, nah. You know you're not Mary. You know you're Liz. You're Liz. And what was the difference between the dynamic? What was uh, well, the Mary dynamic? was blonde and bubbly and always in heels. Liz was gorgeous too, but she had dark brown curly hair. You know, I just want Mary was the star, and we all knew it. <laughs> do, do, do the real life Mary and Liz know that Mary was a star? <laughs> oh well, I don't know, but yeah, like I saw Mary. I still see Mary a lot. She's my mum's best friend, and yeah, she's well aware that she was. You an know, icon. An icon, yeah. I was asked, who do you want to be when you grow up? Um, or who did you want to be when you grew up? Um, for like an interview for a magazine thing. And I said Mary, my mum's friend. Because <laughs> I just like loved her. So anyway, but when we used to play this game, we had kids. And we called them our darlings. But like... Um, this like... Yeah, we played this game. But really like the real goal of the game, the real objective, the unspoken objective of the game was for Jessica to make me out to be a negligent mother. Like, no matter what I did, she would always have a counter-argument to why it was unsafe that I'd done that with my children. She'd be like, well, what did you, um, what did you and the darlings have for breakfast this morning? I'd be like, oh, we had such a healthy breakfast. We had fruit salad and cereal. And she's like, Oh, the, the Just Right cereal? And I'd be like, yeah, that's the one. She'd be like, oh, haven't you heard? <laughs> they found razor blades in it. <laughs> you stupid woman, you stupid Liz. And I'd be like, no, no, I didn't say Just Right. I meant Special K. She's like, that's what I meant, Special K. <laughs> so that was, that was the objective of the game. So I just spent hours on end backflipping but ultimately, it was great training for improvisation. <laughs> it was just like you have. To, I just had to keep giving an answer, like how, how, <laughs> keep how, knocking back her punches. How old would you have been as these <laughs> sparring partners? Um, oh god, we played for a long time, but you know, from as young as like four or five to <laughs> till when we were probably way too old. Like we still talk as Mary and Liz sometimes. So I still like sign off my. Um, <laughs> my messages sometimes to her Liz like hi Mary it's Liz just dropping the kids off then I'll meet you at the wine bar <laughs> so we still communicate with Mary and Liz every now and then oh, or so oh, not every now and then quite often actually yeah it's, they're still very much alive and kicking <laughs> so it's stuff like that it was just like and it was all oh god this is I feel like I'm going on a self-indulgent rant but it was all I was ever told I was good at was like I was a good runner. I remember that. I was told that a lot. 
like I was very sporty but I couldn't I hurt too much I remember and I was like quite competitive so I was told I was good at running and then like in primary school or just in high school in drama or wherever we had to put on plays I would always find a way to make it funny or get into my character and make it comedic and kind of get a bit of attention and people would always comment that sounds so indulgent but that was no. that was all I was ever really like validated for like I wasn't particularly studious or academic I, could, I mean I was fine at English and stuff like that when I put my mind to it but that was the main thing I've been consistently told like praise for like I remember in high school um like finishing like a year six play and my principal was like all right well and we'll we'll see you on tv one day you know and i remember her saying that to me and being like oh, whatever like um but yeah that that's just one thing that i was told i was good at and encouraged for at home and yeah i feel like that is not at all self-indulgent it's, it's really crucial to bring that up and so interesting you should say that because it's the power of positive affirmation yeah because I it made me think of the phrase whether you think you can or you think you can't you're right yep because generally the only thing that you need to keep going when things get challenging is the belief that you can do it so true and if someone's told you since a very formative age that you're good at something and you can do it you'll just assume that that is the truth yeah totally. and then you'll trust that all you need to do to to, to win it or to get it right is just to turn up and do the thing that you are, are informed you are naturally good at. Yeah, exactly. And you do, I think it's quite a common story is that you get the confidence knocked out of you at some stage and that can be, you know, can have huge consequences. But I definitely like went away from performing for a while but then baby steps, like dip my toes back into it through radio and through the community TV and then it took a while to admit again that that's what I wanted to do so I definitely did feel like I strayed from it but once you get there that's well that's a really interesting idea so so believing having had that affirmation growing up mm. and then in the place that you are now where performance and comedy is mm. such a huge part of your life what do you think it could have been that that put the kibosh on that for a few years mm. when you didn't when you had to go and do the business course as opposed to only focusing on performance and comedy as something that you really wanted to do yeah I guess just the same old thing as everyone else of like not knowing really who you are and yeah not feeling like I was particularly good at it or I think I had associations with if you wanted to be a performer and actress, you had to be really pretty. You know what I mean? I thought me saying, oh, I wanted to performance, people would think I was batshit crazy. Like, I would be embarrassed at the thought of telling someone that that's what I wanted to do. So I think I was just like, obviously, I didn't have, a, you know, a whole heap of... Like, I was a confident girl, but in so many ways, obviously not, you know? Just didn't... So, yeah, I went travelling and made friends and not ma sounds like I didn't have any like I was always fine in that regard but I just didn't know what I was good at I didn't think at, at, at that stage of my life I obviously didn't think I could do it all very good at it so I just went off and had to get some bit more life experience and I think that's the only reason I can do it now like I'm so impressed there's so many young comedians you know in their teens or early 20s who have like such insight into themselves and are like telling these awesome jokes I'm like oh man I was just such a mess when I was like in my teens early 20s that yeah I have such respect but I, I think I can only do it now is because you get to a, a certain age where you just can't be fucked caring anymore can you still care but like I'm trying letting go slowly but surely and, and you maybe you also think look it's 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 now it's either now or never maybe or it's, yep. I, I definitely had a feeling in my late 20s where I thought why am I not doing all these things that I really want to be doing yeah if I hold back from doing them for fear of xyz then I'm the only person who's going to be yeah ruined by that yeah idea yeah and then I think it's that you and maybe also I think 20s is actually just exactly what you said just not giving a shit yeah you sort of learn you spend so much time caring what other people think and say and then after a while that idea just gets old and you're like cool well, since I no longer care what anyone else yeah. 
thinks really like yeah. if, if everything were to burn to the ground and I was to have nothing left but yeah. my own instincts what would I mm. want to be doing yeah and then you actually start to take responsibility for that yeah. in, in your late 20s where where for some reason I mean I'm only tapping into things I mean even doing this yeah and even getting up on stage in stand-up oh, early this year that's incredible I wish I had known I it was in Sydney and are I you just, gonna do it again I definitely will I the first time I did it bombed so magnificently it was probably three minutes and no it was people were like so shocked by what I was saying oh my god there was just there was was telling stories that it was telling stories probably with the intention of surprising and shocking yeah but the response (laughs) I was at this this room which was pretty much Monday night date nighters yeah and they were like yeah and that's the thing it was a very yeah it was a very date nighty crowd and they had they had turned up for a very specific version of comedy yeah. and that was not what I was serving oh my up. God, I want to know what you said. <laughs> uh, which was great because I think having been through, I think if I had succeeded, if I nailed that first one, yep. the next time would have been really challenging because I would have needed to have bettered it in order to not feel like a failure. Yep. But because I did it and I still turned up to do it again afterwards, it was fantastic because yeah. it was never going to be as bad as the first time. Yeah, it totally. was it was only ever going to be an improvement, which it was. Yeah. And it was enough to make me think to myself, cool, well, I, 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 I've learned what would get a better response and I can understand how I could build on that to yeah. then get a, a better response. So the third time I did it, that confirmed that understanding. Yeah. And it still was, I still probably was one of the weaker performers on the night. Yeah. But I, I felt good. Good about he it. Because turned up and he did it again. Because I did it. And also for me as well, I think I was very liberated by the fact that I was like, well, I'm just experimenting. I'm just yeah. playing. I don't need this, this. To, to, yeah. to, to pay my bills or to yeah. work out for me. Ultimately, there's an, there was an anarchistic streak in me that yeah. was like let's see how bad this can <laughs> be yeah totally and so I felt yeah I felt ultimately super liberating and it was the same reason like a few years ago I went and did singing lessons mm. and I did them for you know six months because I knew that everything else would be easy by comparison yeah because if I had to get out on stage and give a speech or do a scene mm. it was never going to be as terrifying as singing live yeah. And then once I did the oh did the singing live, I thought, well, cool, everything else is going to be so. Just change my framework yep. through which, how how I approach other Good stuff. On you, just getting out. And of I thought, cool, can't be worse than singing, and yep. and it inevitably wasn't. And now I'm I've got less hang, hang ups about singing yeah. publicly. <gasps> And I can do a great share. Oh my god! I could imagine I would have a deep, lovely voice. Yeah, it's chocolatey, as yeah. my singing teacher <laughs> <Mocha> told <tones>. me. <laughs> totally. Um, so yeah, I, I I definitely would encourage you know anyone thinking, oh, like maybe should I give this a go? You've got to give. If you think yeah. maybe you should, you definitely exactly. should. exactly. I totally agree. Well, what's your next? Like, what besides the focus on the web series? Do you think? in terms of your next chapter what your goals are what you'd love to do and or do you kind of have fantasy projections like oh my god I would just love to have my own radio show or mm. late night talk show or you know what's a yeah. what's a big ridiculous goal for the future that sounds so stupid but would be amazing I would love to make a show and I would love to just do more stand up Mm. Um, like and be able to make a living. <laughs> when you say <laughs> um, ma- when you say make a show, what does that show look like? Oh, like a TV show. So I would love to turn um, this thing I've written as a web series into you know um, a six part half hour um, you know comedy dra- drama dramedy. Oh yuck! Well, a comedy with heart. Um, yeah, I would love to make that and have that on the television on the telly who do you think you're like do you think that when you're when people come to see you live yeah and they and they sign up for the nat harris experience mm. who is that core fan base do you know do you have any inst- instinct about what they're like or what mm, they're i don't really feel for them no oh yes and no like i guess it would be like people who would be able to relate to my tales would be mid to late 20s and then into your 60s I think but I think I'm only just doing that now because I'm still so I only feel like I'm I feel so lame saying this sentence but only really finding my voice as a comedian now and I've been doing it for three years which is fair yeah super fair exactly because you kind of get all that stuff out of the way of like okay I've spoken about my childhood I've spoken about this or that and 
um, you know, being so poor, like, you know, that you can't afford this or that. And now I'm like, okay, all that aside, what do I actually want to say and, um, and also try to be funny? Um, so, yeah, I think, especially talking, you know, about, like, death and stuff like that, dark atomic, darker topics, I think that that can would open me up to a whole different age bracket, like anyone who's experienced that, which is most people. What, it doesn't necessarily have to be death. I mean, like, experiencing a loss, whether it's, you know, a pet or a partner, like a breakup. So I think that'll be interesting that to do this new comedy festival show. But that's kind of really what I'm aiming to do is to get a bit of a following and get my name out there a bit more. I only feel like now I'm good enough to do that. I think slowly, like, I've had, like, drips and drabs and, and you know, some randoms, like, people who have come out of nowhere and, you know, really enjoyed the show and have continued to come back, which is the best. I just want a bit more of that and want a bit of a, a, a fan base that sounds wrong but yeah I just want to get my name out there a bit more I still am very new but I feel like I'm ready to every go. now and then you say really insightful things that are really accurate and then you excuse yourself <laughs> from framing them like self-indulgent <laughs> sounds wrong say fan base fan base is exactly what you yeah, need, need to build yes yeah, so true if you well that brings me to my final question which is if you were to take your game into the neck level, yeah. and you were to turn up the intensity of your uh, aptitude for what it is you're doing, yeah. what does that look like, do you think? How would you change either the way in which you work, what you would be dedicating your energy to? Would you take a gamble on a style of putting yourself, or a version of putting yourself out there that is yeah. it's that seemingly challenging but would take a nudge to do so? Yeah. If, if someone would be like, okay, 2016 is going to be the year in which you go nuts and it's going to be the and this is what you're going to do in order to get it yep. what is what do you think that looks like just working yeah putting all my energy into being creative and yeah like i think it requires a certain level of like honesty that can be like you slowly work yourself up to in baby steps and just being completely transparent i think is my personal like personally is the next step I need to take in terms of vulnerability with what you're talking about I guess so yeah in all senses of it yep and just being like okay maybe then I it's until you take that that next step I don't feel like I'll completely know whether what is my biggest strength on stage it may be like okay I took that step and was like this like absolute vulnerable version of myself within control let's hope on stage that was great but actually I prefer playing it a bit more of a like disinterested cynical girl like that seems to work better for me but you won't know until you've done it and then yeah I think I've taken that gamble this year of just like I don't earn much money but I need time to do what I'm trying to do so it's just giving more and more time over to doing it and having the confidence to go, yep, I have a foundation now to achieve what um, I want. And really, I would just love to be gigging more and, you know, hopefully getting paid. There's different opportunities. There's definitely some opportunities out there that I would really like and I think I can get them. I just need to, yeah, keep getting my name out there. So, yeah, I don't feel like anything I'm going after is like this big you know unattainable dream I feel like it's all possible so maybe that's why I'm 30 and you know chipping away because I have this just like crazy optimism that it'll be okay <laughs> and and I, I'm assuming and I can tell you it, it will yeah and it is yes Thank so, you. Oh, Chai, thank you so oh, much. Oh, Mocha, thanks for having me. Delicious, spicy. I feel like, I feel like we should hug. No. <laughs> we're, we're, we'll do it when we're not recording. We'll spoon after this, yeah. Thanks, babe. No worries. One of my own personal takeaways from that was around the notion of disconnection from distraction. It's interesting to me that in the 15 or so creatives that I've interviewed so far, Nat's notions around process how strict she is with measuring her time spent in a creative sense of play seems to contradict my ideas of how I imagined the process of a stand-up comedian to look like. 
And maybe the fact that Nat is so busy with life stuff, volunteering on a women's helpline and working in a cafe, which she says has given her a rage, means she feels she has to be particularly disciplined with the time that she does have to write. It seems to me that now that comedy is her focus, her whole lifestyle seems to service this choice. And maybe that's what's sometimes missed by people looking to make real inroads into a creative craft, that you have to look at your passion as a primary focus, with other elements of your life in support of that. Nat's Café Rage reminds me of a friend of mine who used to work in insurance as his day job to support his passion as the lead performer in a band. He used to say that he hated working in insurance so much that he was sure to go home and write songs and practice guitar all night because the sooner he was a success, the sooner he would no longer have to work in insurance. Sometimes having no other choice is a great motivator. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Nat Harris and if you were inspired by anything you heard on the show today, please feel free to pass it on to someone who you think may be able to use it. If you'd like to find out more about Nat Harris, check out the show page at www.thenakedcreativeshow.com. I'm Dan Brophy, and I will see you next time on The Naked Creative Show. Love